Good morning, family. We'll get it eventually. If you get your Bibles out, come to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, page 1082 on the Pew Bible in front of you. Uh, we are working through this section of the book of Ephesians. Uh, next week, we'll go back to Ephesians 1 and begin in the beginning and start working through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So, you know, just uh, being part of a family. Paul here is talking about being part of a spiritual family. And this whole section began with this concept uh, in chapter 5, verse 21, of us uh, submitting to one another. And that that's because we're filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we then uh, we relate to each other in gratitude and joy. And it permeates and affects every area of our life, in particular the way in which we relate to one another. And so we've talked about the uh, marriage relationship this morning. We'll talk further about uh, parenting relationships and authority relationships. And it's all because... Being filled with the Spirit of God transforms every arena of our lives. And it makes us a family. And so this morning, when, when we're, every year when we celebrate graduate recognition, it's hard for me to not get emotional. I have to just push back the tears of all the thoughts and the memories of these young people and just watching them grow up and, and what I know about them and what just thrills my heart to just to be a part of a family. You think about this faith family. Think about like your family and how sometimes in your family you have a busy week. You have a lot of things going on in your family. Well, in this family, I mean, we, we exist as a family and we experience the, the gamut of emotions together. I mean, this week uh, we've, I've done... Funerals, for some of you have lost loved ones. We've celebrated 50 years of marriage. We've, uh, we've celebrated graduates. We, we celebrate a wedding yesterday. See, all of these life moments we celebrate because we're in a family together. And the way in which we celebrate these things is predicated on, dictated by, what the gospel has done to us. You see, apart from salvation, none of these events would, would look the same or feel the same or be the same or mean the same. But because of the gospel, all of them are different. Funerals are radically different. 50 years of marriage looks radically different. Graduate recognition, marriage, it looks radically different radically different that's being part of a spiritual family so welcome those of you that are joining us online let's let's pray father thank you for the good gift of your presence in our life thank you for your word for the gospel for the power that's within it unto salvation thank you for being a speaking god who loves your people Speak to us this morning, we pray. We're here for you, to hear from you. May you find fertile soil in 
hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, work for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in chapter 6, we start in verse 1 with this familiar passage of Scripture. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? You'd be amazed at, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, and obviously I've preached on this before over the years, I thought I, I'm always struck by uh, the magnitude of conversations that I have surrounding confusion over this passage of Scripture. I mean, I've had thousands of conversations, not just with parents about children, but a lot of times with adults and their relationship with their parents. And so hopefully we can sort some things out this morning. But first things first, let's set a baseline for, for what, what exactly do these first three verses even say? Well, what the Bible's teaching here, if you have your listening guys, you can get them out. Children learn to obey God by obeying their parents. This is the whole point here, okay? It's not complicated. When you're young, parents represent the authority of God to us. That's the Christian model. That's what God intends. That's what this is talking about. So when you're young... The way that you submit to the authority of your mom and dad is the barometer to how you submit to God. A child that doesn't submit to their parents is not submissive to God. It's not complicated. It's very simple. But yet we, we, we bring this into our culture and we, we sort of try to make it fit and feel comfortable and it gets all twisted up notice the thrust of what this text is saying is around the concept of honor honor is the thrust here that's the point and to honor is to make something heavy it's to to make it weighty so it's to to honor your parents means to give weight to them Honor, just so that you understand this, honor is beyond obedience, okay? Honor goes beyond obedience and includes attitude. To honor is to obey with the proper attitude, all right? That's a good way for you to understand that. So when the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord, for this is right. So as children grow older, think about this, they're to put their parents' input on a scale and weigh it against God's input. So as children grow in maturity and they begin to experience in a godly home, a child will grow, we'll get to this in a few minutes, where as they mature, they, they 
they grow in independence. They grow in freedom because maturity breeds freedom. It's the way it's supposed to work. And so as that happens, they then begin to weigh out because it's in the Lord. It's not a blanket statement, children, obey your parents. If you think the Bible says, children, obey your parents, period, you are completely wrong. Completely wrong. In the Lord is the whole key to understanding what God is saying. Listen, you can't obey the fifth commandment by ignoring the first commandment. Some of you might have to write that down because you're totally confused right now. I don't even know what that means. What, what's referenced here is the fifth commandment. It's the, it's the commandment with a promise. You can't obey that commandment by ignoring the first commandment, which is put no one or nothing above God. So it has to be in the Lord or it won't make any sense in the context of Scripture. So think about Think about the things that Jesus says. In other words, the Bible says children obey your parents. Period. No. How do we know that? Well, look, here's a great example in Matthew 10. Jesus said, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son and daughter or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Very clear, very simple. In the Lord. So we honor our parents in the context of honoring Jesus as Lord. That's the only way that works. Any, any home that subscribes to the children obey your parents, period, is broken and raising broken children. And it's going to be a disaster, which is what the next verse deals with. See, as Lord of my life, Jesus has the last word over the decisions that I make regarding my values, my goals, my activities, my everything. See, so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right because it honors God's ordering of human society. We subject ourselves to God by subjecting ourselves to our parents. That's what we're, we're, by teaching children to obey you, parents, in the Lord, you are teaching them what it is to be a Christian. That's the whole point. So you think about um, how this issue can sometimes confuse people which it shouldn't but sometimes it does like you take marriage for example when a son or a daughter gets married understand something it doesn't matter how many hundreds of times you've been to a wedding that I've performed and you've heard me say this somehow you don't seem to get this when your son or your daughter gets married They owe greater allegiance to their spouse than to you 
mommy. Please listen. You leave and cleave. We have a problem with that in the South. Marriage calls you to a new loyalty. Places upon you a new responsibility that supersedes what was previously going on. Consider, here's a great example. Consider Jesus growing up as a young boy and how Luke chapter 2 gives us the most information about Jesus' childhood, but Jesus was submissive. Now, he's fully God, yet he's submissive to Joseph and Mary as he's growing up. He takes their direction and their leadership, which is a mind-blowing thing. But there's a moment, the Bible says, when he's 12 years old, and they're in Jerusalem, and Jesus disappears in the crowd. You ever lost your kid in Walmart? Well, imagine you lost your kid in Walmart for three days. You talk about a butt-whipping coming. Son, if I'm hunting you for three days, when I find you, you're going to wish I never did. For three days. This, this is one of those moments in Scripture when the words just don't do us justice. You know, because it's just, you know. I want to see the look on Mary's face when she says this. But so after three days, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I'm not sure astonished was the word. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you with great distress. Which is be why your dad's holding his belt off. It's off. He's holding it. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You got that? Did he just, is it obey your parents, period? No, it is not. Did Jesus just obey his parents? That depends. Which parent are you talking about? Earthly parent? No. Heavenly parent? Yes. First commandment trumps fifth commandment. Jesus is illustrating. Now, this didn't happen. Listen, this would have been a totally different scene if Jesus was four. It would have looked like Tony standing in Walmart with his belt off. Where yet? But he's 12. Things are shifting, things are changing. That doesn't mean when you're 12, you don't have to obey your parents. Of course it doesn't. But what it means is when you're 12, you should be starting to understand what it means to obey God. And anytime there's any confusion, you ought to know how to obey God. You see, if you've, if you've done a great job at raising your kid, then when they're 12 years old, if you are pressuring them to do something against God's will, they ought to be able to call you on that. Right? All right. Okay. 
But then understand something. Jesus didn't abandon the relationship with his, with his parents because a couple verses later, here's what it says. And so then after this event, he went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. See? You see? So this was not rebellion. This is what's important. What's in the heart of Jesus? Obedience to his heavenly father. Now, if, if one of my children at any age, 12 years old or any age, wants to challenge me on something that I'm asking them to do, biblically, that's fine, but if, you're, if what's in your heart is rebellion, it's not going to go good. But if what's in your heart is a desire to obey God, it's going to go fine, isn't it? Yes, it's going to go fine. Because, see, you, you, a parent has to understand that a child can't obey God and 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 disobey a Christian parent at the same time. Those two things don't work together, right? But we're human, so sometimes there's some confusion. We're not always right. We need to understand that. And I would say this to young people. If you're struggling under your parents' authority... Like, let's say you're a high school student right now and you're struggling under your parents' authority, then you're probably not ready to move out from under it. It's a good sign that you're, you're not ready. See, because your obedience towards your parents shows that you're living under the lordship of Jesus. And so, therefore, it would, it would show that you were mature enough to live apart from your parents' direct authority if you were doing well under it. The way to know how is your child doing with the authority of Christ in their life is how are they doing under your authority? Is your authority godly and how are they doing under that? So, when you're a child, you honor your parents by obeying them. Now, this is where we're going to get into the millions of conversations I've had. I think we all can get this, but this is the part where we somehow get off track. But when you're an adult, you honor your parents by obeying God. A grown Christian person obeys their Christian parents by obeying God. I mean, you know what my goal is with my two grown children? My goal is to never have to have a conversation about the, their shit. I don't want them to obey me in anything. Because they already ought to know how to obey God in everything. Right? Yes. That's the goal. But we get tangled up because we don't always have Christian parents and things don't always go the way they're supposed to go and that's why we get into verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So just as God's called children to recognize the weightiness of their parents, 
So he also calls parents to recognize the weightiness of their children. See, what this is just flipping the script. All this is is submission 101, parents and children. Same concepts as last week, just different environment. Do not provoke your children to anger. Let me explain this to you very, as clearly as I possibly can. Whenever you in life chase something that doesn't exist and can't be attained, you get exasperated. You get angry. So many people read verse 4 and they're like, well, what does that mean, don't provoke my children to anger? Well, what makes you angry? It's the same thing that makes your children angry. I've watched this go good and bad for 30 years. People who overprotect their parent, their children, raise angry kids. You know why? Because in your overprotection, you fence them in, you distrust them, and they and they. They, they, oh, they look great when they're young and early adolescents, but when they get older, it's, it's, it's bad. They're angry. And they want away from you because you're, you're overprotecting. Whenever you put a child in a, in a situation or a circumstance, so many kids grow up in homes where they, they can't win. You better be careful. If your kids feel like they can't win, you are sinning as a parent. God doesn't ever put you in a situation where you can't win, does he? So why do you put your kids, why do you bury children under unrealistic expectations? Let me tell you another killer. Anytime a parent shows favoritism, to a child which is completely ungospel. Never say to one child, why can't you be more like your sister? That puts a child in a position they can never win because a child can never be like another child because they're not that child. God never said to you, why don't you be more like somebody else? He says, why don't you be the best, most faithful version of you you can be? See, all parenting is, is gospel application. Whatever the gospel says to you is what you say to them. The reason there's so much confusion and people get so twisted up about it is because we don't like that. We want it to be a different way. We get tangled up in trying to make things convenient and work to our advantage. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It simply means this. Be more concerned about their relationship with Jesus Christ than anything else. That's what that means. So if you're confused about what does that mean? The nurture and admonition or discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what that means. It means being more concerned about the quality of their relationship to Jesus than your you're concerned about what school they go to or how they perform on the athletic field or what status they attain in society or whatever success they achieve. 
It's a matter of, of priority, of gospel priority. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice the Bible does not say, teach them to behave. Does it say that? Because all the parents that are wound up in behavior modification, if that's you, here's what you already know. You lose. You're losing now. You've been losing. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm losing as a parent. This is probably why you're losing as a parent. Is because you have twisted up the gospel into behavior. God never came along and said, hey, why don't you start behaving? And then maybe if you behave, I might adopt you into my family. Is that how that happened? I don't think that's how that happened. It doesn't say bring them up in your discipline and instruction. You know what the gospel doesn't care about? Doesn't care about your parenting ideas. Doesn't care. All the brilliant things you learn from watching Oprah, doesn't care. Doesn't care. All the nonsense that you've picked up from secular outlets along the way, doesn't care. It will fail. And it will not work. And really all you're doing is making something simple overcomplicated. We have discipline, we have instruction. Well, let's just talk about this for just a second very simply. Believe me, if we had more time, we'd have way more fun. Discipline. The word discipline. Think of discipline as the discipline side of parenting is, the, is where you, you force them to conform to what is right. That's discipline. That's discipline. So that means that when you find the word, the same root word in Scripture, you're going to find it in places like Proverbs 13. Whoever spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You ever notice how quiet it gets when I talk about this? Look, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there's, there's, there's a bunch of you floating around here that are into this some kind of newfangled, wacko, non-Christian, unbiblical parenting model. And it's not going to work. And you think you can, you can just use instruction and not discipline. It's never going to work. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. But you figured out that you, you're, gonna, you're just going to use instruction and not discipline. So what happened was, maybe you grew up in a home that was all discipline, no instruction. And so what you did is because that was abusive and terrible, you flew all the way to the other side of the pendulum, which is just as abusive because the Bible says you're hating your child. You're overcorrecting in the wrong direction. It's just as abusive 
So spend all your time talking to your kids. I, I know you don't, you don't spank them. Well, you're going to lose. Not according to me, according to God. Look at what the Bible says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who doesn't. I didn't call you this. God just called you this. It's his word, not mine. I thought it, trust me, but God said it. It's stupid. That's what it is. It's stupid. And you know why it's stupid? Do you know why? Because, you know, and, and don't email me. Lord, don't email me. Because it's going to hurt us. Do not call me and do not text me. Because here's why. How does God, I don't care what you think, how does God deal with you? Does he, does he not use discipline with you? What does the Bible say in Hebrews 12? For they disciplined us for a short time, talking about our earthly parents, as it seemed best to them. But he, the Lord, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Parenting is not about my opinion or your opinion. It's about what does God... Anytime you're confused, how do I deal with this in my child's life? Just ask the question, how does God deal with this in my life? Simple. Whatever the Bible says that God does to you in that situation, you do to your child. It's so simple. But man, we fight against it. And we wonder. We wonder why we have the problems that we have. Instruction. See, that's the, that's the truth that you model and that you convey to your children. Instruction is not just the, the transfer of information. It's also the example. So you have discipline and you have instruction. And they're both critically important. And one without the other is abusive. You have to have both. It's not discipline or instruction. It's both. You think about how the Bible talks about instruction. So there's so many places in Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians 10, for example, when the Bible's talking about uh, the, the Old Testament events and how, uh, you know, the children, the things that happened to the, the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. And then the Bible says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So you see, it was an example to the people who were experiencing it in the moment. God was being an example. But then also it was written down so that for all the generations to follow, it would be there for instruction. So you see how it's different from discipline, but it's equally important. And they have to both be there. So the purpose of parenting is never controlling behavior. No, that's just the outcome of good parenting. It's shaping the heart. You have to target the heart. Because here's the thing. You're bigger 
you're stronger, you're scarier. You can make your little demon do what you want him to do. But the little demon's going to grow up to be a big demon. So focus on the heart. The heart. Shape their hearts towards God. When we focus on shaping behavior, you know why we do that? It's convenience. It's selfishness. So oftentimes we're, we're more driven by what other people think about the way our kids behave than what's actually gospel good for them. Shame on us. Who cares what other people think? What's right for them? What's best for them? Just quickly, my two favorite books, if you're in the early stages of parenthood, they're both in the bookstore. One is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. The other one is called Gospel-Powered Parenting. Those two books right there. Either one of them, if you're sitting there and you feel totally bewildered right now, you should get one of those books and you should read it. And all they're going to do is just pour the gospel into you and show you how to pour that into your kids. All right, verse 5. So now we shift into another relationship, bond servants. I know what you're saying. Whew, thank God that's over with. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So, if this throws you, or maybe you have a translation of the Bible that, that says, slaves, obey your masters, and you get thrown by this. Listen, obviously, when we think of slavery in our own history, it is clearly one of the most, in my opinion, two despicable evils of the human race. But this is not that. So be careful what you're putting on top of this. If you want a good explanation of how to understand what the Bible's talking about, listen to the very first message that I preached uh, in the Philemon series just a month or two ago, and I dealt with this in great detail. But if so, people often get thrown by verse sections like this, and they think, well, why doesn't the Bible have a whole section or a whole book about the evil of slavery? For the same reason the Bible doesn't have a whole book about the evil of pornography. And lots of other things. The Bible is a book about the gospel. And the gospel doesn't fix problems. You hear me? The gospel doesn't fix problems. The gospel fixes the hearts of people full of problems. Which is the same thing as parenting. It's the same thing as authority. It's the same thing as marriage. When you're filled with the Spirit, it's all the same thing. The way you change social evils is to change people's hearts by the gospel. So just understand that this whole discussion of bond servants and masters 
first of all, this had, this had nothing to do with race, which is important. Think indentured servant. Understand that these bond servants, yes, they had masters that they had to obey and listen to, but they also were allowed to own property. And also in Exodus 21, every seventh year, all of their debt was forgiven. And so there was, there was opportunity in that. So the context that we need to understand this passage in, for us in our culture, would be employer-employee because that's the closest thing we have to it. This is what, what, what is a New Testament Christian philosophy of work. The slave-master relationship that's talked of here is very close to the employee-employer relationship that we would understand. And so you notice that what the Bible's calling a bondservant to is a cheerful disposition towards obedience. Yeah. Notice, it's not contingent upon them being a good boss or a good master. Rendering service with goodwill. You see, some people see work as a means to an end. So you work because you have to, because you need money to support your family. So you just do this because you have to in order to do something else. Well, that seems sensible, except for it's wrong. It's not biblical. That's not biblical at all. And, and, the, and, and the point is, if that's how you see work, then your idea is you work so long as you have to, but you're working until the minute you have enough money to no longer work again. That's your goal. Again, unbiblical. It's unbiblical. That's not the way the Bible sees work. The Bible would show us that God created work as a way of serving our fellow man. God created work for our benefit, for our good. That it's a good gift from God. See, really, the thrust of this passage is that we are to do our work as if Jesus was our employer. Whatever our work is. See, you serve from the heart. You serve with grace. You serve with courage. You, you serve with excellence. You go the extra mile. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, verse 8, that he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. See how, how God makes no distinction? See, there was work in the garden before there was sin. You know that? Work's not a result of sin. Work became toil after sin. But work is a good gift from God. Sin has bent it and, and dented it and caused it to be so cumbersome, but it's an opportunity for us to live out the gospel. So when other people at work are grumbling and complaining, you should be hard at work. When you work hard and you're faithful to your employers, what God says is, I see that. I'm watching him. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, I'll reward your obedience. You know what? It's so important what God doesn't say. God doesn't say that when you work hard, your employer will reward you. He doesn't say that. 
He says he'll do that. He'll take responsibility for that. Look at verse 9. Also, masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality in him. So again, what God's saying is, the warning is, God's saying, I'm watching. I'm watching how you're working, and I'm also watching how you're leading. So if you're in charge of any people in any way, if you're a CEO or a manager or in any authority over other people, then you better understand God's watching how you use your authority. That's what he's saying. How you treat other people, God says, that matters to me. Because they're image bearers of my image. You can't just lead any way you want to lead. Everyone in authority is under authority. Everyone. So no matter what earthly position you attain, we're all employees of Jesus. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, did he? But to serve. Isn't that what he did? See, when you're like, well, I'm in authority. I don't know how to treat the people under me. Yes, you do. You know you lie. You lie. Why do you lie so much? You know what the Bible says. You know better than that. Ecclesiastes 3. The wisest man who ever lived said, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his job. Work. Look at that. This is God's gift to man. And then he says just a few verses later, So I saw that there is nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. See, that's God's will. That's, that's how God made us. But work should not drive you. It's a gift. But you know what we do in our culture? Especially men. A lot of men violate the first commandment with their job. Your job is your idol. Your job is how you derive your identity. And, you, and everything's out of whack. It's a good gift from God, but it becomes a curse when you move it ahead, when you put it where it doesn't belong. See, work is never an excuse to ignore your family. Work is never, listen, an excuse to not serve the kingdom of God. Well, I have to work. I don't think that's how that goes. Your responsibility at work does not trump your responsibility at home. It does not supersede your responsibility to the kingdom of God. It does not, it doesn't work that way. No matter how important you think you are, that's not how, that's unbiblical, it's ungospel. God will not bless it. You know why I tell you these things? Because I love you. I love you, and I want you to hear 
want you to realize work gives you the opportunity to honor or dishonor the one who you live your life for. That's what work does. So when you think about your work, whatever it may be, I don't know what you think about. You know, there's all sorts of different ideas in this room. There's people who love what they do. or Some people hate what they do. Some people do what they do because they want to get to something else. There's all these different things going on. Some people are at the tail end of whatever it is. Or I don't, you know. But here's what I do know. That when you think about your job, and, and, and people say to me sometimes like, well, you know, I, I, this is my job, and, I, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't find any meaning or any purpose in it. Like, I want to do something more important. All right. I mean, I, I can understand what you're saying, but I just want to clarify and make sure that we're, we're thinking correctly, okay? When you think about your work, it's not what you do that is either secular or sacred. My job is not more sacred than your job. It's just different. But it comes down to why do you do it? Why do you do it? You know what would be the worst nightmare that you could imagine to happen to this church if you ended up with a pastor who was your pastor because he wanted to be a pastor I feel horrible for all the churches that are led by some person who wanted to be a pastor that's a horrible situation to be in there should never be a pastor who wanted to be a pastor. The only reason why I'm standing up here doing what I'm doing is because God called me to do that. That's it. And trust me, there's a lot of days I'd like to do something else. There's a lot of days I think, I look at your job and go, I'd like to do that one time, you know. Yeah. But I can't. It's why I do it. Whatever you're doing, why you do it, it matters everything. It matters everything. So you get up in the morning, and you're tired, and you wish you could stay home with your family, or you wish you could do this, or you wish you could do that, but you got to get up and you got to push on. You got to go to work, and you're persecuted at work, and you got people who are rude to you and, and treat you poorly and and I understand it could be hard sometimes that's me at work <laughs> I just thought of that amen but how does Jesus treat you how was Jesus treated by the world and what did he do in return in response he didn't do what he wanted to do. He did what God asked him to do. Isn't that what he did? He did what the Father asked of him. That's what we do. We do what the Father asks of us. Because really, 
everything we talked about, children and parents, it really just all comes full circle, right? Because it's really just comes back to us and our dad. And so when you're driving to work, it's fine. Tell your dad all the struggles you have with your job. He loves you. He wants to hear that. Tell him what makes it hard for you. You know, students, talk to God about the teachers that drive you crazy or how you don't understand things or what's hard for you or you don't know what college you go to or this or that. It's fine. He wants to hear. He wants to know. Every parent wants to hear from the heart of their child. It doesn't mean he won't intervene and he won't help you and he won't. But, the, but here's what, what matters. At the end of that conversation, you make sure and tell your father. Whatever happens, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Because I'm the bond servant and you're the master. Because I really don't work for them. I work for you. I work for you. It just comes down to the simple fact that if, if God is my master and I am his bondservant, then whatever he asks me to do should be my life's priority. That's what I want to do. How long are you going to work where you work? Never answer that question. You don't know. I don't know. Until God tells me to do something else. Until he decides there's going to be a new season. Until he... And if a new opportunity opens up, fine. Just make sure you have a conversation with the master about this new opportunity. Make that your life's priority. See, all of our relationships, our marriage problems, our family problems, our friendship problems, our parenting problems, our work problems, all of our relationships... authority problems if he's your master and you're his bond servant a lot of things are going to straighten out when you make whatever he says the priority of your life you're going to find that you're you're going to stop being dis so disappointed with other people you're going to stop being all stretched out all the time about all your expectations. You're going to notice that when you talk about things, it won't be I, 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 or they, 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 they. Everything will change, I'm telling you. It's authority. Are you his bondservant? Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your 
great love for us that's evidenced in one of the most powerful ways by how many times in the course of our lives we call you Lord. We don't relate to you as such. And you don't kill us. You love us. You pursue us in the midst of our rebellion. You're patient with us and kind to us. And you know the fickleness of our hearts that there's not a one of us in this room and I'm the chief of all who is prone to my own way. But God, it will never work. It'll never work. For only you have the words of eternal life. And so will you let this truth this morning set us free? Will you somehow supernaturally show us this morning that true, lasting, joyful, real freedom comes in the form of a bond-servant relationship to a beautiful master named Jesus. So we're going to just respond to you in obedience and in confidence that you want to hear from your children that you love us that wherever we are there's a step we can take today we can move towards you in obedience we can move towards you in salvation we can move because you want to receive us because you love us what we want to do Lord is we want to live and not just call you Lord but we want to serve you as such relate to you as who you actually thank you thank you that you gave us free will you made this complicated on purpose so that when we loved you we'd really love you with our heart so thank you you're a good father you always know what to do and how to do it we're grateful to be your children in Jesus name amen amen the altar's open I want to invite you to come if you want to come and kneel come on I'm here. Other pastors will be here if you need prayer, if you want to know God and salvation and follow Him in believer's baptism.